Wow, that was, that was really quite a sermon, wasn't it? And there's some fantastic sermons in the Bible, aren't there, by Paul and, of course, by Jesus. So um, in a moment or two, we're going to think a little bit about uh, sermons and how to listen to them. Um, and I just wanted to start off on that our sort of part one by saying how important it, a good sermon is. Uh, and Peter, on the day of Pentecost just really was so filled with the Spirit at that time that he just couldn't keep quiet, could he? And he preaches this amazing, inspired sermons. I wonder if you, I I sort of worked out that I think I've listened to about 3,000 sermons. It sort of felt that wasn't a big enough number. They obviously, the first sort of half of my life, they sort of pretty much went on forever, I seem to think. Um, And so, you know, uh, they did seem to last for a long time. Three stick in my mind, actually, particularly. I could tell you every word of almost. One was when Philip and I were fairly newly married. heard Helena Rosevere speak from uh, Worldwide Evangelization Crusade. She had just recently come out of Congo and just, she sort of stood up and spoke for an hour and you thought it was five minutes had exactly the same experience much only 15 years ago hearing Jackie Pollinger speak. And wow, what a fabulous speaker about her mission in Hong Kong and all that she did. And more recently, uh, preaching here, and I've heard her at Millmead as well, Karen Case Green, just young preacher but amazing in how she just has changed the way I sort of read scripture and just wonderful. And I had the joy that not many of you here had, of sitting under John's preaching for many, many years, and I have to say that every time I prepare a sermon, something John says came, comes back to me, and it did it in three times, and I'm not embarrassing by quoting all three of them today, but I will tell you one thing that John said, because it always comes back to me, because it was so clear and sharp and on the Point. Now, when we were in, lived in America for a year, we were under the preaching of a man called Bruce Larson, who was another of those life changers. And he talked about how important listening to God was, how important listening to the sermon was, you see. Now, I don't know if you were the sort of people who, uh, when you were children or whatever, you went to church and you came back and Sunday lunch you sort of got round and sort of discussed it and said, oh, you know, how do you think the vicar did today? And uh, I remember my uncle always used to pop in and see us after he'd been to church in Farncombe and we'd been to church in Godalming. He used to come in to see us and he, every time he said, oh, that was one out of the top drawer today. And just once he said, hmm, not quite so good. And I thought, God, that must be a really bad sermon. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, sermons matter. And I thought it would be good just to sort of think a little bit about um, why they do matter. And if I could find my notes here, that would be even better. Um, Because, first of all, let's think about what they're not. Um, And this is just a very sort of little brief run-through about sort of three things they're not and about several things that they are, eight things that they are. So they're not spiritual entertainment. Well, I might as well get my John quote out of the way straight away, then I won't have to keep on embarrassing him. We had a man who uh, used to come and preach here, and he was actually an elder at another church not very far away. And he, John came up to me at the end of the service and said, we're not going to have him again, you know. He said he's too 
light-hearted and he tells too many jokes. And he said, you've got to think this could be the last sermon that someone ever hears before they die or whatever. Or it could, and I said to him, yeah, and it could be the first sermon they ever heard and they'd probably not want to hear one again. So, you know, we made that decision then and there. And because it really matters. It isn't just a nice time to be entertained uh, at all. That's not what it's about. It's not specifically about teaching or witnessing or prophesying, although all those things might be, might be part of it, but those aren't the core of what a sermon's about. And it's certainly not uh, guilt-reducing. It's not designed to be guilt-reducing. It's not a Dr. Feelgood approach, you know, oh, you're going to be all right, don't worry, it's all fine, you know. And it's great that doctors aren't like that these days. So when a doctor said to me, you really don't need to worry about this, you sort of thought, right, okay, I'm taking you at your word on that, and I didn't worry about it anymore, and there was nothing wrong. So uh, it's not about being a doctor feel good. It deals with the fact that we are rebellious and stubborn people, but people whom God loves very, very much. But sin must be dealt with in the light of God's grace. So let's look at Peter's sermon and see what preaching is. So there was that, that crowd. I mean, if 3,000 became believers, I wonder how many were actually in the crowd that day. And so he was speaking to those people, and it was immediate. It was immediate for those particular people in, those, in that particular place to that specific audience. Um, when I started preaching, when I was quite young, 22, 23, I used to keep a red box, red file box of my sermons, you see. And then as I got a little bit older, I got asked to preach in different places and I thought, oh, get one out of the box, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm very pleased to say that after a few years, I chucked the box away because I thought that actually isn't what God wants me to do. It's got to be for those people in that place at that time. And I think that's really important. The second thing is, it's got to be relevant. I, I was preaching on the morning after, on the same morning, in fact, that Princess Diana was killed. And I, her, we got uh, uh, awakened by the news from our friends in America who phoned us and told us that. And, you know, I had to completely change what I was going to say, change the whole service and changed my sermon because of that. And, you know, it's got to, what we say has got to be relevant. We need to talk about what everyone else is talking about in the world. We need to be talking about the Me Too campaign. We need to be talking about Trump and Brexit and plastic and those sorts of things. And we need to have a clear purpose in what we say. Uh, when Philippa uh, is running the children's work, her, she's always saying to us, we've got to have one big idea that the children need to take away from them. So we need to be the same in when we're listening to sermons. We need one big, clear idea that everyone can uh, buy into. 
The third, third thing it needs to be is biblical. It sounds very obvious, but quite often uh, people can talk more about things that aren't really particularly biblical. That doesn't necessarily mean you're forever quoting texts, but you want everything to be rooted in scripture. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of listening to someone preach and it's sort of you're sort of losing it a little bit, you're not quite with it, and then suddenly they read a piece of scripture and you're right back there because scripture always has that strong voice. The Bible, after all, deals with every situation that we come across as people. So we don't need to go outside of that. It deals with, you know, it deals with uh, hardship and politics and all sorts of situations that we come across. And you notice that Peter quotes there from the Old Testament. We feel the power when we preach it. We feel the power of scripture when we listen to it and we can store it up. And that is one of the great things, being able to store it up. Number four is just key. All of scripture points to Jesus. So our preaching should always be pointing towards Jesus. There's a, a Greek word, which is spelled K-E-R-Y-G-M-A, which I can't really think how it's pronounced, karygma in Greek, and that means proclamation of salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's really what preaching is, proclamation of salvation through Jesus Christ. The Bible's God's word, and it's pointing to Jesus. Let's have a look at what Jesus himself says in John chapter 5, and... Uh, we're looking at verses 39 and 40. John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. You study the scriptures because you think that in them you will find eternal life. And these very scriptures speak about me, yet you're not willing to come to me in order to have life. So Jesus is saying that the scriptures point to him. And of course, he said that again to the disciples on the road to to Emmaus when it talked about how all the law and the prophets pointed to himself. So the whole idea that it points to Jesus is very, very important. In uh, John 12 and verses 20 and 21... Find those... The, Jesus is talking about, uh, Jesus has just entered into uh, Jerusalem, and then it says some Greeks were among those who had gone to Jerusalem to worship during the festival. They went to Philip and said to him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. And those words, we want to see Jesus, uh, are often printed in American churches sort of along here, where the pulpit, where only the preacher can see it, we would see Jesus. That's the sort of thing they do there. I just wanted to show you this. Um, This is called the Bible Storybook. I think it is just outstanding. It's the uh, reason I'm showing it to you is because all the Bible stories in here point directly to Jesus in a most wonderful way, Uh, in a way you might not even have thought about as an adult. For example, in, uh, I, I won't sort of tell you how, but it talks about one the whole of the story is about Leah, Leah, Rachel's sister. 
And it's just amazing the way it talks about how that points to Jesus. Uh, and so I warmly recommend, if you're buying a Bible for your children or grandchildren, that's really good. And it's sort of different to the others. Uh, number five in the preaching is lots of stories, but, 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 relevant stories. Not stories that are just vaguely related you know, occasionally I think, oh, that's such a good story. I've got, you know, that would be good in a sermon. I'd love to use that story. But no, it's not relevant. It's related, but it's not relevant. Um, Jesus' method was to use lots of stories. And when someone's been talking quite a lot of theological stuff, and then they say, that reminds me of someone I met yesterday on the tube or something like that, then you sort of prick your ears up again. Jesus did the same. So Paul, often, uh, two or three times, he was about to be stoned to death or something, and he would say, hang on, guys, hold on. Let me just tell you, first of all, about a funny thing that happened to me on the road to Damascus. And so he used his own stories. But stories are very important, but handle with care, you know, uh, and do a little brain check. Is that story really relevant, or is it only related? Number six, sort of goes without saying this one, but... Probably important to say it is that sermons must be interesting. The greatest sadness or heresy is to make a, a sermon boring. And yet, if you say the word sermon to a lot of people, almost the sort of link word would be boring. You're talking about the greatest news that has ever happened. And, you know, you've got to make it interesting. And if you don't, something's gone badly wrong. Touched, you know, sometimes touched with humour. You know, uh, Peter starts with a joke, doesn't he? He says, you know, you might think we're uh, drunk. Well, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. If you come along in the evening, you might, well, you know, we don't know what he's thinking, but it's this little joke there, getting them smiling and, and so on. Uh, and, but keeping the interest is really important. One thing that's also very, very important is that the sermon implies that the preacher is under judgment too. You see, today I've got a job to do from God, but the message is just as much for me as it is for you. And that's really important, that no one is setting themselves above anyone else. And the last thing I thought about uh, and then got from the... Uh, the preach from America, who was who book I took some of this from, is that sermons must always offer hope. Um, Peter said, repent and be baptized for the promises for you and your children. And there was all that hope in there. So we always go on to emphasize hopeful news. Things can be different for you this week if we hear what God is saying to us today. So let's always keep our sermons full of hope. Now, over the next coming year, um, in fact, right up to the 25th of August next year, we're going to have nine different outside speakers. 
uh, and uh, I'll, we'll be sort of thinking about those very soon. Um, so I don't want you to bring your school cards along for those people, let, let alone on my, as uh, Virginia very kindly reminded me, having read my notes, she said, well, everyone will be scoring you on your second part of your sermon, won't they? <laughs> so, um, but I had the advantage of being aware of that. So, um, but, you know, it, this is just something for you to sort of hold in your own mind and think about uh, how God is speaking to you. We're going to now come to God in confession. Today I want to look at three amazing things that Jesus said and how they bring hope to you and to me today. Now, as we, uh, as we were driving sometime yesterday, or whenever it was, I uh, was listening to a comedy programme on the radio, The Now Show, if you've listened to that, and uh, the person said, oh, I've got this sort of uh, the winner of the best new comedian, and, and, they said, what, and they said to her, what's your message of hope for broken Britain? And I just sort of thought, Wow. You know, that's, this is a comedy programme. What's your message of hope for broken Britain? Um, this is our message of hope for broken Britain. Jesus speaks into that situation. Jesus speaks into our individual situations. Uh, Jesus speaks to all of us today. And my prayer is that one of these three sayings that Jesus gives that you know well will speak to you today and speak into your situation uh, today. So let's just uh, start by looking at the first thing that Jesus says to us today. To some of us, well, this won't be for, this might not be a message for you, but my guess is one of these three will be a message for you. So words you know so well, you could probably recite them. Come to me, all of you who are tired from carrying heavy loads and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and put it on you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in spirit and you will find rest. For the yoke I give you is easy and the load I will put on you is light. I wonder if you've ever done a really, really hard physical job as your sort of employment. I wonder if you don't know that we've got many miners in here, for example, or uh, what have you. Um, well, I, I have, actually. And when I was uh, 16, I worked at Secrets Farm. And my goodness me, I did not know what I was letting myself into. The days were... They ha the days had to be from 7 till in the morning till 6 at night, but you could work from 6 in the morning till 9 at night, which I often did. And I said to my mum at the time, I said, whatever I do in the future, and what I do in the future will probably be using my mind more than my body, always remind me that sheer physical work is much harder than anything else. And I've done some tough old jobs during my career, but... I would stick to that. There's nothing like just being that level of exhausted. Uh, and it's true, but it's not just exhausted through physical work, which sometimes can sort of feel good unless it's actually too much. Uh, but I wonder if now, today, you're feeling tired, maybe from your work, 
maybe you're feeling tired from your worries. Uh, maybe you're feeling exhausted. Maybe you're feeling burdened by a weight of worries, of things that are real, things that are present, even things in the past, things maybe that are imaginary, or things that might possibly happen and might not, and you're hoping they won't. And all of that is putting that burden on you. You're carrying that big burden. You can almost imagine uh, the picture you may have seen in the sort of Pilgrim's Progress book of there's a pilgrim, a Christian, with the burden on his back. And, you know. um, and Jesus says, what does Jesus offer? Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to take every single thing away. It's interesting what he says. He says two, two things. He says, take my yoke. And a yoke, if you think about it, is, uh, you, you know what it is, it's a sort of wooden thing that fits around your neck and onto your shoulders, and you sort of see milkmaids walking along, don't you, with, uh, well, you don't, I mean, you see pictures of them, uh, with, uh, and actually, I saw one of those in a, 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 a brocante in France, and I thought, oh, it would be good to buy that for this talk, but it had, had woodworms, so I better not. Um, and, uh, but it's interesting, the idea of wearing a yoke, and, of course, uh, Jesus says, it's not you're not going to carry any burdens, or because it's important that you're, you're concerned about other people and things like that. But the burden, my yoke, is going to be easy. It's going to be well made. It's going to be fitted to you personally, so it's not going to have bits that stick into you. And a yoke is designed actually to make carrying easier. But of course, it was often used so that people would just carry much more. But um, it's much easier than carrying a bucket that would cut into your hands, whereas the yuck yoke is carried across your shoulders. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to show you how you can carry that burden, which isn't going to be so heavy because you've given it to me, and I'm going to make it easier for you. That's the first thing he says. The second thing he says is, learn from me. And he says, learn from me because I am gentle and humble in spirit. Gentleness and humble humility doesn't play a big part in our sort of life, does it? Uh, 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 in our sort of national life or in our worldview life. It's not the two words that would leap to mind if you think about Trump and Putin, for example, uh, gentle and humble, is it? Uh, and, and, you know, I read an article about the hard men who are now, I think men is very relevant there, uh, who are taking over various countries, like uh, in, in, in Thailand and in Hungary, and various of these people are seen as the sort of the hard man. Um, and, but Jesus is saying, learn from me. Learn that the way that you should live is to be gentle and to be humble. And he talks about finding life in him. And that's just the sort of the key thing. That's what Jesus offers. So Jesus is gentle and humble. His yoke is easy and his burdens light. And um, I love this as well. And I, when I read these words from Isaiah 40, I just always think about that sort of wonderful film, and every time you watch it, it's just as wonderful, which is Chariots of Fire. And, um, and uh, the, uh, oh, I've forgotten his name. What's his name? Who, who, who was the, uh, the, the man in Chariots of Fire? 
Eric Little, that's right, yeah, Eric Little. And he's sort of standing there on the steps and he's preaching about this. And, and he reads from the Bible, even those who are young grow weak. Young people can fall utterly exhausted. But those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. They will rise on wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not grow weak. So that's the first offer that Jesus is giving to those of you who are really worried about things. Now the next uh, passage from the scriptures I want to read is from John chapter 4 and verses 13 and 14. And again, it's a story you know very well, Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus answered, all those who drink this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring which will provide him with life-giving water and give him eternal life. So I'll ask you the same question. Have you ever been really, really, really thirsty? I remember when I was doing that job, I'd come back for my breakfast at 9.30 and would sometimes drink sort of eight glasses of water straight off. Um, I, I don't know if you've read um, the Eye newspaper is great, because one, if you've ever come across that, and it always has a sort of statistical little bit in it, which is great, and it did a statistical comparison of this summer this sort of glorious summer we've had, and the summer of 1976. And the summer of 1976 was um, sort of much hotter, uh, uh, whereas the temperatures uh, in this summer were, were sort of, it was hot for a very long time. It was consistently about five degrees Celsius hotter in 1976 for a longer time, right through August almost. So... Uh, it was quite a summer, and I had chosen to take a group of 40 uh, 12-year-olds uh, walking between youth hostels. And we were, going, we were walking from Holmby St. Mary to Ranmore Common. So you might know Tanner's Hatch Youth Hostel up on Ranmore Common there. That was quite a long way to go, and it, the sun was sort of pouring down on us. We weren't so good about the sort of hats and water, and, but I'd said to the children, you must all bring two bottles of water, it's going to be hot, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, and they sort of didn't, and they were, you could see they were struggling. One was really struggling, and, but they were all struggling. We got to Friday Street, and sort of, and there was the pub, and the pub was open. And I thought, what are we going to do? I got all these children totally, you know, so I just walked in and said, I want 40 pints of lemonade, please. And all these children got their pint uh, glass of uh, lemonade. But it, and then the next morning, they were all scuffling around the dustbins at uh, uh, Tanner's Hats Youth Hostel, looking for a bottle, an extra bottle where they could put extra water in, and that, my goodness me, they've got the message that you need water in that sort of situation. See, the Samaritan woman had to walk to, to the well, and, you know, and Jesus interacts with her and says, really, is your life satisfying? She was unsatisfied. She had tried to find satisfaction in six different husbands and none of them had sort of reached the mark and she was unsatisfied and 
Jesus offered a satisfying, something that was satisfying, living water that would keep on flowing. If you drive from Guildford to Shelford and you've got that little humpback bridge, if you notice, no matter how long it hasn't rained for, that is always wet there. It's always wet. There's a spring just at the bottom of that bridge and you can see it always is wet at that point. It's a spring that keeps lasting. And that's what Jesus offers us, real satisfaction. And let's just read these great words from Isaiah 58. And it's uh, verse 11. God says, and I will always guide you and satisfy you with good things. I will keep you strong and well. You will be like a garden that has plenty of water, like a spring of water that never runs dry. That's what our lives can be like. Even if things are going wrong, we can have the assurance of that wellspring. And it's great to think of that as being the Holy Spirit, of being the Holy Spirit within us, like a spring that fills us up and keeps on filling us. And that's really key, that being aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. So that's the second thing that uh, Jesus offers us. And thirdly, and Becky's going to read to us again, um, two passages from John. So it's John uh, 9 verse 1 and John 8 verse 12, or around those areas anyway. Say that again. It's, it's <laughs> that's not what I got. Well, you're John, yes, that's I've right. Got one yes, to five. Yeah, that's perfect. Cool. Then 8 to 12, yeah. Okay, so I've got John 9, 1 to 5, if that's what. It's not on the screen. It's not on the screen. Okay. Um, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Thank you very much. And the other one, John 8. Yeah. That one as well, John 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12. Um, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thank you very much. So I wonder if you're someone who is basically uh, a cheerful person, um, but gets overwhelmed from time to time, by the darkness of sin and sorrow from life, from the lack of trust we see around us, from isolation and greed. And those uh, are the sort of sins of our dark world. I wonder if you've ever been frightened of the dark. I mean, dark is, children say they're frightened of the dark, and we say, oh, you mustn't be frightened of the dark, and you give them um, the owl that was afraid of the dark, which tells you that dark is exciting, and dark is all sorts of other things like that. But actually, dark is something pretty good to be frightened of, because you can't see what you're doing. 
stating the obvious. Um, I used to go to the uh, youth group down at uh, Queen Street Church in Godalming at the bottom of the hill and lived on the top of the hill. And it was pretty good going down to it because you went down the alleyways and that was fine. And then you sort of came back and you thought, right, those alleyways are going to be absolutely black dark. On the other hand, if I walk all the way along Croft Road to Holloway Hill, then there's a little bit of light going up there. What shall I do? And you sort of think, well, better do the alleyway. Can't, don't want to waste time. And then you sort of, you're walking up this sort of thing. You're touching the, if you know those slopes, we used to call them the chutes. And uh, then you hear footsteps coming the other way. You think, oh, you know, and you sort of try and pass on a different side. You never see a side. So it's a scary thing. That dark is, can be quite a scary thing. But we are not talking about that sort of light. We're talking about the darkness of sin that we see all around us. And we need to pray about those issues. We need to pray that we will have the light of life. Because we are, Jesus said, it's very interesting what he said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now Jesus is now really in the heavenly spheres and we are the light. And what I was thinking about is often talk about being, I like to pray about that we would be clean mirrors. Sometimes I pray that. I was thinking about this mirror analogy. I was thinking we need to be uh, convex mirrors not concave mirrors. So concave mirrors, if you sort of shine light into a concave mirror like that, all the light gets focused down to a point very near you. But if you're a convex mirror, the light spreads out. So we want to be like convex mirrors so that our light can shine. And then Jesus says an amazing thing. The Bible tells us an extraordinary thing in Philippians chapter 2. And it's chapter 2 and verse 14, if anyone's following that. Uh, Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may be innocent and pure as God's perfect children who live in a world of corrupt and sinful people. You must shine among them like stars lighting up the sky as you offer them the message of life. So we have to be the lights that shine out. And that's what Jesus, Jesus offers us the chance to be like that. So today, Jesus is offering us three things to speak into different parts of our life. If we're feeling exhausted, he says that he will give us rest. If we're feeling dissatisfied, he offers us living water. And if we're feeling overcome by the darkness and sin of the world, he says that we can shine light lights for him in the dark world and make all the difference. Now, on the little sheet I gave you, you've also got the words of our next hymn. And I'm going to suggest to you, you might like to contemplate those words of that hymn, old hymn, uh, during the week and uh, just get those three ideas into your minds, those three things that we hear the voice of Jesus saying to us this morning. Let's stand and sing. Mm-hmm.